0: Here we go, Philippians chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, open them there. If you've got your devices, turn there. And if you're joining us uh, for the first time in a while, uh, or maybe if you're here with us for the very first time, first of all, welcome. Glad you are. Uh, But you've walked in on a series of lessons that I've entitled Peace Talks. We're making our best effort to declare war on worry. We're writing a new chapter in our lives where panic, we believe, is going to decrease and peace is going to increase. Now, we're not naive. We know for certain there's no way in the world we can rid our lives of anxiety. But one thing that we're finding out is it does not have to dominate us. I know this because the one who created the world said it doesn't have to. He's pointed us to a prescription of peace in a letter written to a group of Christians at Philippi nearly 2,000 years ago. And if you're wondering how that can be relevant, well, just buckle your seatbelt and you'll see. Because I can't imagine how a word from God could be more relevant to a church anywhere at any time than this one. So this fall, (laughs) there's a thing, as Raymond was joking about, that we can call fall in Texas. We're going phrase by phrase through Philippians 4, 6 through 8. uh, Actually, 4 through through 7. And uh, those words are going to be up on the screen here in just a minute. And I'd like for you to put your shoulders back, fill your lungs with air, and your heart with hope, and to say them with me. Here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I hope you believe that. I hope you're committing that to memory. I know some of you probably today could say it from memory. Again, I can say it from memory, but I kind of intermingle other passages of Scripture that are similar to it, and so it doesn't exactly come out of me like it does there on the screen. I want to start this morning's message with a simple question. Have you prayed about say the word with me? It. One more time. Have you prayed about it? One more time. Have you prayed about what do you mean by it? It is what troubles you. It is whatever is keeping you up at night. It's whatever is stealing your joy. It's a disease that your dad can't kick. It's the marriage that hasn't seemed to come out of its death spiral. It's the job that you can't stomach. It's the rage that you cannot tame. It towers over your life. Two not-so-intimidating letters that represent some very intimidating realities that, if not dealt with, bully the peace of Out of your life. It's been a rough week for me. My dad's not doing well. And there's nothing about it I can do. That's one way to think about it. Whatever yours is. ah, There's nothing about it that I can do. Well, there's some things about it in my dad's life and in our life now that I can't do. But I promise you this morning, there is something you can do. You can place that intimidating word behind two other words. And you can do this. You can pray about what? It. You can do that. Maybe you're thinking, I can't take it anymore. You may be right. Maybe you're thinking, I just need someone to take it away. Maybe you're thinking, look out, here it comes again. I don't know. But I do know this, unless we follow the counsel of the Apostle Paul, you may not be able to do something about it. So what I want to invite you to do is, for the next couple of seconds is to close your eyes and bow your head. And I want you to think about it for just a moment. Whatever it is that I've just described that fits you like my it fits me. So let's pray about it. Father, such a simple word, but so glad that we can address you just that way. Father. we have this thing, this it in our lives that's um, pretty intimidating. It's taken some of our peace, maybe all of our peace. It's taken our joy, maybe all of our joy. It's threatening everything else in our lives because it just seems overwhelming. And you have invited us to come to you and bring whatever it is in our lives to you boldly. Promising that it matters and that you will do something with it because you're our dad. So, Father, just personally, with every one of us in this room who has a specific it in our lives, would you please move, help us, strengthen us, change whatever it is that you know is best for this situation and these circumstances and these people. Would you handle it? Now, we're not, we know we're not the only church in this town who needs help with an it. Um, this morning, we lift up Trinity Baptist Church. And we know that they brought their own dominating, frustrating, intimidating things to you this morning. Please, we join their prayers with ours and asking together, would you look upon all of us who are your children? with mercy and grace and help this day. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said. There you go. Maybe your it doesn't seem so daunting anymore. Maybe it's not gone, but it doesn't seem so daunting. Placed in its appropriate position, it gets reduced to size. That's what Paul's hoping that we understand about this particular text today, because prayer simply is the act of taking it to God before it gets to you. Prayer is the act of taking it to God so that it doesn't get to you. Prayer slaps the handcuffs on it, as we read in the Scripture earlier this morning. And it marches it into the presence of God, and it says, God, I can't handle it, but you can. I can't deal with it, but you can. I don't know what to do with it, but you do. And so I'm going to place it in your hands. In church, I'm here to testify. Peace happens when rather focusing on it is not our option, but rather praying about it is. We're about halfway through this antidote for peace that Paul gives us here in Philippians chapter 4. And he's going to encourage us today to take action. He's been readying our minds with what this it trouble is and how we face it and how we deal with it in our lives. He's been readying our our minds, but now today He wants to ready our mouths. Verse 6 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present those requests to God. Paul reminds me here in this text that whatever it is that threatens to steal my life, it can't take away how I choose to deal with it. To summarize where we've been the last five weeks, and I hope about 35 seconds, whenever it confronts us, whatever it is, we get to choose to make, first of all, the rejoice choice. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. I'll say it again, you can rejoice. Now that comes from a man who's in prison, who's got some circumstances that are anything but rosy, anything but fun, anything but joy-filled in themselves. And it's because he has a basis in his life that we've talked about, a belief system that makes some behaviors that are just really odd and different in circumstances like that capable. He believes that God is really in control. And he believes that God really has graced every one of our sins. And with those two foundational beliefs in his life, he says, I can tell you, I can rejoice in any circumstance that I find myself in. And so can you. I can make the rejoice choice no matter whatever it is that I'm facing. Now we saw last week also, I can make a second choice. I can handle this moment, I can handle this time in my life with gentleness and calmness because I know the Lord's near. I get to choose how I respond to it no matter how ever it got dropped in my life or came into my life. Because I've got a belief system that, that then informs my behaviors in my life and they can be very different in how a Christian handles it and how the world handles it. And this morning, Paul's going to encourage us to engage in some specific action with our mouths. And that is to pray about whatever it is that you're faced with. Before I purpose to do, Paul says pray. And maybe you're thinking, well, pray about what? <laughs> he said, everything. Everything. Nothing is left out. Nothing is too small. nothing's too great. He said, I'm telling you, I want you to pray about everything. In every situation. In every circumstance. Talk to God about it. Now I want you to note, Paul emphasizes two specific words in this specific passage. He says, okay, I want you to pray with a, a petition-like heart. And I want you to pray with thanksgiving in your heart. Now, that word petition in some of your Bibles is translated supplication. It's just a Greek word that talks about a request made for, with humility. A request made with respect. A, a request that's made in meekness. We don't come to God demanding. We don't come to God mandating. We come in meekness. We come with respect, acknowledging, you're the greater, I'm the lesser. You're the one that can help. I'm the one that's got the need. Ken Young has a song that he used to sing. We don't sing it much, but it's one of my favorites as far as reminding myself where I am in this. You are the sunshine, I'm the candle. You are the mountain, I'm the hill. You are the ocean, I'm the river, quietly churning and never quite still. You are the heavens, and I'm just a star. And I'm always wondering how great you are. That's the attitude that I try to come to God with when I'm coming in prayer. But it's an attitude simply that could be said, it's the attitude of a child who realizes, I can't, Dad, or Mom, but you can. It's amazing to me of all the names that uh, Jesus chose to use when he referred to the almighty God, the creator of the universe, he chooses to refer to him as father. As father. We know this because of the eyewitness accounts that we have called gospels in our New Testament and the writers there record this over 200 times Jesus refers to God. The very first time Jesus opens his mouth is in regards to his father. Luke records this. It's in Luke chapter 2 and verse 49. When maybe like some of you, uh, the parents have lost their kids. They've lost Jesus. How terrible that has to be when you lost God somewhere. But they have. And they find Him. And here's what they say. Where have you been? We've been anxiously looking for you. And Jesus replies back, why are you searching for me? Don't you know that I had to be in my what? Father's house. One of the last things that He says before He dies on the cross It's to refer to God as Father. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In the Gospel of John, he's the most prolific of all the the eyewitnesses who writes about this particular uh, way in which Jesus addresses God. 156 times out of the 200 all come in the Gospel of John. And so knowing that, it's no wonder that when he gets asked to pray, Jesus says, all right, let me tell you how you pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know how the rest of the prayer goes. But it starts out with our Father. Not my Father. Our Father. Interesting. I can't find a verse in the entire Scripture that records where the disciples asked the Lord, "Uh, would you teach us to walk on water? Lord, would you teach us to raise the dead? Lord, would you teach us to preach like you? But we do find... Of all the questions that they could ask of him to teach them to do, he says, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And when they do, this is how he initiates it. Our Father. I went back and I read the Lord's Prayer this week and I noticed that he said nothing about technique here. He wasn't concerned about posture, whether I bowed my head or whether I raised my hands, whether I folded my hands, whether I got on my knees. He's not concerned about place. Whether I pray in a sanctuary like this, or I pray in a closet or a mountaintop. He's not concerned about time. He's not concerned about what, except this. When he reveals God's nature by saying, My Father, my Father who's in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus encourages us to talk to him as a father. A father who has authority over sins. A father who has authority over Satan. A father who can provide for our daily needs. As a father who can lead you out of temptation. As a father who can help you face your enemies. As a father who deserves all glory and praise. But if you haven't caught it, I'm underscoring, as a father. He begins his prayer with calling God our father. And the word that he uses here, you know, is that monosyllabic language of a child. It's Abba. Now that's a big falutin word that just simply means a repeated syllable made to describe something. You, you, you see small kids like the one pictured here say it all the time. Kiki, Baba, Mama, Dada. That's monosyllabic language. And it's that word that he chose to say, Our Father, when he taught us to pray. Now i got to confess, that doesn't sound all that revolutionary to me. So it took a New Testament scholar by the name of Joachim Jimenez, not Jimenez, (laughs) that's Spanish, (laughs) Jeremias, who writes this paragraph and he says this With the help of my assistants, I have examined the prayer literature of the ancient Hebrews. And the result of this examination was that in no place of this immense collection of literature did we find the invocation of God as Father, as Abba. Abba was an everyday word, he writes. It's a term of endearment of the home. It was a family word. So no Jew, no Jew would ever have dared address God in this manner. And yet Jesus did. So in all of his prayers which have been recorded and handed down to us, he writes, with one single exception, the cry from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Except for that one exception, that's how he addresses Almighty God, Abba. And in doing so, Jesus authorizes not just the disciples then, but the disciples now, to repeat that word. To understand that word. Because we have a share in His sonship. He concludes by saying, He empowers His followers to speak to their heavenly Abba in a familiar and trusting way. I love that. Almighty God wants me to call Him Dada. Dada. Abba, Papa, that just floors me. So I love the way that Max Lucado ties a particular story in his life to the meaning of that word. He and his daughter Jenna were in Jerusalem. Jenna was 12, and Max writes, on this particular day in downtown Jerusalem, it was absolutely packed with locals and citizens. And in the midst of it all, he says, I heard a little girl cry, Abba, Abba. He said, I turned and I looked, and she had to be about four years of age. And she was separated for the moment from her family, at least it seemed. But when she said, Abba, immediately from out of what I thought was nowhere, came her dad. He was dressed as a a typical Hasidic Jew. He had the long black robe. He had the long black hat. And he spotted his little girl, and he was there in a heartbeat. And when he arrived, he pulled her close. And Max says, it seemed like... He was saying something to her, which we can all imagine was something like, come on now, stay close, don't wander off, but something like that. And then he took her down the street to what looked like his wife and his other kids. And I watched them, Max said. I watched him hold his daughter close. And they reached the intersection, and the little girl, having recovered from her moment of angst, was energetic again, and she was trying to step out into the street, and the father pulled her back. They waited for the light to turn, and Dad led her across the busy intersection. And when they reached the other side of the street, he reached down and he picked her up and he held her close again. Max writes, I took him. <clears throat> I took note of all this because I wanted to see what an Abba does. He said, I'd read about the word, studied about the word, but while in Jerusalem, I was curious to see what does an Abba do? And then the only way that Max Lucato can write, he finds this profound meaning in this everyday occurrence. Here's what he said. Here's what I learned about what an Abba does. He hears us when we cry out. He holds our hand. He gives us words of exhortation and sometimes when we need it, correction. He leads us. And when we step too quickly into dangerous situations, he loves us enough to try and pull us back. He walks us through difficult times. And then there are those occasions that out of the simple love He has for us, He leans down and He picks us up and He carries us to the next place. I don't know about you, but I need an Abba like that. And I'm thrilled that God reveals, I do have an Abba like that. On behalf of Jesus, and I think I can say this with all assurance, on behalf of Jesus, whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is that's troubling you and stealing your joy, pray to your Abba about it. Whatever it is. You're not too strong. You're not too successful. You're not too old. You're not too capable that you don't need an Abba. He's hardwired you for one. He didn't hardwire that for the deer and the trees or the flowers, but He hardwired you to cry out in need to something. And we do. He's just saying, would you make that me? Would you turn to me? Would you talk to me? Would you ask me? Because He doesn't desire an arrangement or a contract with us. What He wants is a relationship. He's not some genie who just doles out wishes. No, he wants a relationship with you because he's father, or at least he can be. It would have been privilege enough, wouldn't it? If he would have welcomed me to be his servant. It would have been honor enough if he would have said, you can be a soldier in my army. It would have been joyful enough to say, would you be a singer in my choir? But he does more than that. He says, I want you to, to be a child in my family that's nuts almighty god the creator of the universe wants me and his family forever absolutely but don't take my word for it take his because he's not going to settle with just saving you or parting you No, he wants to adopt you adopt you to bring you into his family to make you his own now i got to hit pause here for a moment because i got to say this because it's part of the truth that's connected to it. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, you're not His child. You're His creation, and He would love to adopt you as His child, but He's not going to make anybody His child. He's not going to force anybody into this family. You may not have any choice into what family you were birthed into, but when it comes to the new birth, you get all the choice in the world. You may not have had any choice in who was going to be your earthly dad or your earthly father, but you get the choice for who's going to be your heavenly father forever. Forever. And that's a privilege. It's a privilege. In Romans chapter 8, Paul shares this unspeakable news. You have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that indeed we are children of God. He goes on in the letter of Ephesians chapter 1 and says this. This may may rock your world. He says, long ago, even before He made the world, God chose us to be His very own through Christ. And what He would do for us, He decided then that He would make us holy in His eyes without a single fault. We who stand before Him, are covered in His love. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into His own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And He did this because He wanted to. <laughs> no cosmic gun to His head. Uh, no, no law He had to fulfill. He wanted to make you His child. And you thought He adopted you because you were so good looking. <laughs> no. It's not because of your money. It's not because of your skills. It's not because of your wit or because of your wisdom. This incredible creator of our universe just loves you. How that works, I don't know. The only way that it comes close to me was when that little girl of mine came into my life the very first time, and her name was Lauren Sportsman. She went from this shape that my wife was carrying around and this person that we saw on a screen, or it was an it that was on a screen, and she became my child. And love poured out of me I didn't know existed. Didn't have a clue could come out of a male body, especially. God hardwired that into us. It came from Him. And He's loved you since before this world ever began. That just blows my mind. But it makes me grateful because that doesn't make His love for me dependent upon me. I don't know about you, but my love can be pretty fickle. My love can be pretty inadequate. My love fails people sometimes. And so this relationship's not dependent upon my love and how I do it. It's dependent upon His love and how He's doing it in me. Some of you understand this because you have a father who makes that metaphor pretty easy in your life. Can I tell you this, mine did. And that's why it's so hard to let him go. I ordered the hospital bed this week. It's coming in tomorrow. Can't walk anymore. Can't speak anymore. He's so ready to go home. But that man taught me what a man to be a father. And so it's easy for me to talk about someone who provides for me and God being that person. It's easy for you to make that leap from someone watching over and protecting me and wanting the best for me because that's what I know of an earthly father. And if you had that, we're doubly blessed. And be grateful, okay? Because some didn't. I know I'm speaking to many who when you hear the word Father, you don't have an image of love. You don't. Or concern or care It's hard for you to attach those things to the word Papa. Because when you think of a father, you think of someone who's disconnected and distant. At best, some of you, when you think of a father, you think of someone who took something from you. Your innocence, your joy, your home, your money. All these years when someone like me talks of God as father, you hear that with some difficulty. And I get it. Because there's something inside you that resists that word being connected to someone who loves you. And here's why I'm sorry about that. Because when your father hurts you, it can be the deepest of wounds. Because God, by nature, created us to be those who would protect and provide for our families. And when your father doesn't care for you, it creates this almost unshakable sense of paranoia and anxiety that anybody could really care and provide for you. And so others get lumped into that as well. And if you find that difficult to trust God as father, I get it. And so does God. And there's a level of anxiety you will live with unless you can... In faith, trust him to be your Abba. Trust Him to be your Papa. If there's a way that you could do that this morning, if there's a way that you could begin to do that, I would so I so want to encourage you because it's so necessary. It's so necessary. He will help you differentiate between your Heavenly Father and your birth Father. If you'll allow Him, He will through Scripture, through the church through His power within you, come to understand what Father means and how He can benefit you in this world. Please allow God to define and give you a better definition of what Father is because when you wake up in the morning and you're facing it, I don't know how you deal with it without a Father. When I wake up in the morning... You may take this as some preacher statement, but I'm telling you, this is how I start my day. This is a day the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in Him. The Old Testament version of that it was, be glad in it. Nah, Paul changes that. We can rejoice in the Lord always. And so now I've changed that to rejoice in the Lord always. Because Father's with me. This is your day. This is your bed I'm sleeping in. This is your carpet that I'm about to stand on. That's your bathroom in there I'm going to. That's your food I'm going to eat. That's this, ha- this house is yours. That's my wife sleeping. That's your wife. It's all yours. You use this any way you want to. But Lord, i got to face it. And I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to cope with it. I don't know how to begin to, to address that. I don't know where I'm going to get the strength for it. But you have it all. You've given me everything around me. And Abba, Papa, I trust you that you're going to do for me what I need done in this situation to give you glory and honor and praise and for me to have life. And I don't know where it's going to come from, but I trust you with it. The days that I start my day like that, which are most days, I'm telling you, they're just different. And the days that I don't, they're different. And usually worse. Something is a, this is not just some band-aid scripture that, 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 that God put in our laps. I didn't know this, but in some of my research for other lessons that are upcoming, this is the most research section of scripture in all of the Bible. I thought it would be John three sixteen. Most people know that one from memory, but if they go and look at all the stuff, what are the name of the tablets that you have that's electronic? I don't have one. Kindles? Kindle has done the research. The most researched passage of Scripture in all of the Bible on Kindle is one thing. It's the one that we're looking at right now. Because this world wants to know how in the world do I face it and live and have peace and joy. And so I'm hoping with all of my heart you're embracing this. Because something happens. Something happens when you pray about it, I'm going to end this morning with a story, because I think it just encourages me when I hear about people's prayers and how this amazing God responds to them. This one comes from the 1980s. A pastor by the name of Laszlo Toks took over a small Reformed church to minister to his fellow Hungarians, it was an oppressed minority living inside the borders of Romania. His predecessor had openly supported the communist Romanian government, even to the extent that his clerical robes had a red star, communistic star on them. Now, in contrast to this, Filippiancy writes, Tokes spoke out against injustice and protested the government actions, and soon that sanctuary was filling every Sunday. They grew from about 40 people to 5,000 in a matter of weeks. This courageous new pastor attracted the attention of special agents that worked for the Communist Party and they threatened Tokes many times with violence. And one evening, the police were dispatched to evict him from his home and word spread quickly. And hundreds of Christians, Baptist, Orthodox, Reformed, and Catholic alike poured out of their homes to surround Tokes' house as a wall of protection. And they stood throughout the day and the night just singing hymns and holding candles And a few days later, police broke through those protesters to seize Tug's. And rather than dispersing and filing home, the protesters decided to march downtown to the police station. And as the procession moved noisily through the streets, more and more people joined in. And eventually that crowd formed in the town square. 200,000 people had come together, nearly the entire population of the area. And the Romanian army sent troops in who in one bloody incident opened fire on the crowd. Killed a hundred of them. And wounded many more. Still the people held their ground. They refused to disperse. And a local pastor stood to address the protesters in an attempt to calm the rising anger and prevent an all-out riot. And he began with these three words. Let us pray and in one spontaneous moment the giant mass of farmers and teachers and students and doctors and everyday ordinary working people fell to their knees and started to recite our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name join me thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those that we have debts against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Mr. Yancey concludes with this. That was a corporate act of civil disobedience displayed by all of those people. But within days, the protest spread to the capital city of Bucharest. And then a few weeks later, the government that had ruled Romania with an iron fist toppled to the ground. Amazing things can happen when you pray about it. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning again that I can call you Father, stuns me. Stuns this family. That you would welcome us into your family. Saving us is one thing. Pardoning us is one thing, but, but welcoming us into your family. That, that our hurts, our frustrations matter to you. Just That's hard for us to wrap our minds around. And so we're going to try to believe That you care and that you will move in these areas of our lives where we don't know what to do with it. And so we're coming to you this morning trying to be obedient, trying to listen to Paul's admonition, encouragement about how to deal with it. And that's to bring it to you. And so we do. You know what they are the sicknesses that need dealing with, the relationships that are strained and need your help, the jobs that are needed. The words that are needed to say something difficult that needs to be said to help bring healing. Father, you know the money that's needed. You know some time that's needed. You know some hope that's needed. And we're asking today as a family, would you look down upon us in your mercy and your grace and your power and your strength. And would you help us with it. For we ask it in Jesus' name and everyone said, Let's praise Him, church.